Amen. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, and that is just a perfect lead-in song to what we're talking about today. And uh, if you are new around here, we are in uh, what's a little different, but we're in a year-long series called the Wayfinding Series. We're using a Bible called the Wayfinding Bible. And uh, we're looking at the flyover route. So we're getting a big picture of Scripture. I think on occasion, some of us want to dig deeper into certain passages, but we're trying to just get the big picture. What is God up to? What is God inviting us into? And uh, it's been a lot of fun. In the last week, this week, and the next week, for the first time, we get three consecutive chapters. Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. So I'd encourage you to listen to last week. We'll be in Acts chapter 2 this week. And a good, good friend of mine will be out here from Philadelphia next week named Scott Jones. And I encourage you to come for it. He is an amazing, amazing speaker and one of the smartest people that I know. So Acts chapter 2. Um, I... This is one of those passages that local churches go to time and time again, and usually we pick a little passage and dig into it. But this morning, as we've been doing, we're going to look at the whole of the chapter, because I think the whole of this chapter gives us markers or realities of what it looks like to be a healthy Christian community. And there's four markers in this. One, in the first part, is this complete and utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. The second one that we're actually going to look at first, I'm going to invite a friend up and we're going to hear some of his story that will help us get it. But the second one is this idea that we have a passion for proclaiming the gospel. And then the last two are at the end of the chapter. We're going to see that to be a healthy Christian community, whether that's a church, a small group, maybe your family, the last two are there's an intentionality to the way you do community. And then the very last one will be this idea of sacrificial generosity. What does it look like to give away in ways that maybe are painful at times? But the first one I want to talk about, and I'm going to invite Ben to come on up as I sort of lead into it, is this idea of proclaiming, this passion for proclaiming the gospel. So we're going to come back to the beginning of the chapter where, you know, there's fire and wind, the Holy Spirit. But right after that, Peter preaches this message. He preaches it to this group of Jews. And it says in verse 36, and, and I'm going to keep Bob on his toes on the, on the screen up here. Verse 36 says this. So let everyone in Israel, it's the end of this message. He's used a lot of Old Testament because he's preaching to a group of Jews. And they've been waiting for this Messiah. And he's trying to say, this is the Messiah that you waited for. Even though it didn't look like you thought, this is the Messiah. And it says in verse 36, so let everyone in Israel for certain... Uh, know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord, they called Caesar Lord, so King and Messiah, King and Deliverer. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, then to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children, and even to Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I love that little note on there. Preached for a long time, strongly urging all listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So this church grew from 120 to 3120 in one day. Some significant challenges at their next business meeting. This is, one of the really cool things about Acts, we don't have the time to do it this morning, and we'll, get, we'll get to Ben here in a second, but if you were to look at all the different messages in the book of Acts, they're to different groups of people in different places, to different ethnic groups, it's intriguing how the gospel, and the gospel by defin, definition is the whole person of Jesus Christ, it's intriguing how they talk about Jesus in each one of these settings. I would encourage you to look at every one of the messages and how the gospel is shared, but what is core and central to each one of these is this passion for proclaiming the gospel. 
So this week I got to have a really cool breakfast that I walked away just totally inspired. And uh, it was with Ben here. We met over at Caribou on MSU campus where Ben went to college just a couple of years ago. We'll just call it back in the day. And um, Ben works with Crew, has been in China for a number of years. Now they're coming back to a really cool position here in the States. But um, first of all, introduce yourself, um, tell a little bit about your family, and then we'll want to talk a little bit about what does it look like to have that passion for proclaiming the gospel. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, my name is Ben Mosh, and uh, I went to the very end of high school here in Mankato and then went to college here in Mankato, and it was right then in the beginning of, of college that I learned what a personal relationship with, with Jesus was. And um, my family, uh, you might have seen, it, we move around a lot, and so, but they tend to just own every place we go, and they, they would have owned that entry foyer there and running back and forth. And that's probably where they are right now, <laughs> I'm guessing. So um, tell us a little bit about why I mean, Ben has is, is, is felt called to go and share the gospel with unreached people groups, um, which is amazing. But why the passion? Why, why care about that? I mean, what, what did God sort of do in your life? You know, any, any, passion, that's, any passion that's received to go forward um, is a supernatural faith kind of activity that God puts on us after we realize the great level of sin that's in our lives. Uh, once, you, once you really understand just the, uh, the destructive, heinous nature of your personal sin and realize what you've been freed from, hmm. passion is kind of a funny word. Maybe another word that I would use is freedom. All of, us, all of a sudden now when you see that the chains have been broken free and that all of the things that you deserve to have poured on you because of your sin isn't, and you receive the opposite, um, you are a set free person, and all you want to do is help people understand about the graciousness, the, the acceptance that you receive from, from the person that you've hurt the most. Um, just briefly, I was thinking about this bit about Peter, because I can relate a lot to him here. And what's interesting, before all this fire and passion, Peter did the unthinkable. You know, he said, he denied Jesus. He totally sinned. You know, I don't know if there's worse he could have done. And it says on the last time he denied Jesus, Jesus looked at him. Hmm. And I wonder what Jesus looked like. But then after that, it says that Peter went fishing, <laughs> which is another interesting bit in here. And he went and hung out with his friends on a boat for a while. And then Jesus resurrected, came and visited them. And from the shore called out to him and asked him to come to shore. And he sat there on shore and what he did when he spoke to Peter is exactly what he did to me. He didn't say, you know, Peter, you're really messed up. I'm going to need you to fix some things in your life and then come to me. Um, I mean, he knew what Peter did. He was sitting there on the third time and he denied him. And that's my life. This is my life before I knew Jesus my freshman year. Everything I did was in, was in complete rebellion to what God had for me. And... and um, and he did to me what he did to Peter on the shore mm. that day when he saw him. And he just said to Peter, come and have breakfast. There's something paramount about that to me. It, you know, to listen to Ben talk about it, you just like, God's done something amazing. And then the, the next step for you, not next step, but just as you came to Christ your freshman year and started sharing that faith with people around you and um, then felt called to 
go to the unreached people groups, which as I walked away from our coffee this week, one of the things I thought was, um, I'm, I'm inspired that as a church we care well about those groups, but I also walked away from hanging out just thinking, I want to care more about people that, that, that God loves who don't have a relationship with God. So talk, like, what does that look like? How does that happen? Well, once you start learning about the world like I did back then, um, you realize that the majority of the world isn't like here. And that there's many people around the world that have very little access to the gospel. It's actually about 60% of the world that has little or no access to what we get so easily here. And when you understand just how precious it is, what we have, um, you can't sit still anymore. And um, I am not the most likely candidate to go to, you know, Western China or Northern India or any of those places that we'll be going now. But... um, how, how can we sit easy knowing what we have and realizing that the majority of the world has no, no chance right now? Now, God is very fervent, and he plans to pursue people with or without our help, but the invitation in to what he's doing, um, it's hard to reject him when he says, this is what I'm going to do. Um, one day everybody is going to bow down to me. Do you want to be part of my mission or not? Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. And, and some of the how, I think, that, that, that I take away from talking to you that I need to be reminded of, it's easy just to get going through life and forget what God in Christ has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. And for that to be the driving passion of how I live and do life. But then the next step, I mean, I, I think it's that you shared at the first service is part of it's just like buying a plane ticket, you know, Right? I mean, you guys just did the simple things, and, and, and some of, of how you reach when you're in China is you go have coffee. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, you know, we, we do evangelism trainings all around the world, and um, everybody always asks, you know, just tell us how to do it. Teach us how to do it. And I remind them that you have a personal relationship with the Lord. I, I bet those of you that do, which I'm assuming most everyone here does, If I brought in somebody from the outside and I sat them here and I said, they would like to know about Jesus, could you tell them right now? Oh, that's the easy part, actually. (laughs) Going to find them is what's challenging. And and that's where I think one of the greatest faith steps is required because it's it's the stepping into the unknown. That's what we call it over there. Back here, it seems like most of you call it stepping into the awkward. (laughs) However you phrase it, you just step forward and say hello and I'd like to have a conversation with you. And from there, um, you've done the hard work, really. But, you know, it it, it stems from this incredible change that has to happen inside of you, which is, is Jesus really absolutely necessary Hmm. for somebody's eternal salvation? Is he actually that wonderful? If he is, there's just really no room to sit still. And And it's the simplicity of loving our friends and our city and our world enough that we would actually share Jesus with them. And moving past the awkward, moving past the fear, and doing the things that we think God is calling us to do. So let me pray for Ben, and then we're going to, I mean, we're jumping around this passage in some different ways. But pray for them and pray for us as a community as we try and practice this, this idea of a healthy Christian community shares the gospel with passion. Father, um, thanks for Ben. Thanks for his family. Thanks for the time they spent in China. Thanks for this new position with crew. God, where they get to lead and direct and 
form, maybe even new and different ways in which your grace, your redemption, your beauty is brought to people who've never heard about you. And as you do that in them, God, daily inspire us to do that in our neighborhood, our workplace, our city, wherever it might be, God, that we would be so convinced of your grace and love in our lives that we are compelled to share. Pray this in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, Ben. You can clap for him. There, there's no other place on the face of the earth where clapping is so awkward as church. Like, can we clap? Can we not clap? It's okay to clap. It's okay to find joy. It's okay to thank people. So Ben, that really thank you. Let's jump back to the beginning of the chapter. This is going to be a little choppy this morning, but um, I think it's going to be good. So one of the markers, one of the realities of a healthy Christian community is this passion for proclaiming the gospel. Um, and, and some of it is just the simplicity of what Ben is. So if we jump back to Acts chapter 1, verses 13, the second marker is this, is that there is this complete and utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. I mentioned last, last week, when we read Scripture, one of the things that we need to understand is how we look at the story. And this story is going to feel a little, if you've never read it before, it's going to feel a little different. And we ask ourselves, is this just describing something that happened in the first century, or is it prescribing something that we as Christians are supposed to do for all of time? Um, like the Lord's Supper. Jesus had the supper, instituted what's called the Lord's Supper. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, keep practicing this again and again. So what we're going to see, I think, today is some teachings that are describing a reality that teaches us something. It's not prescribing this idea that every time we get together, there should be wind and fire. But every time we get together as Christians, there should be a complete and utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So it says this, on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost 50 days after the Passover, Jews from all over the Roman Empire had come together. Way back in the beginning of the Old Testament, the Pentecost was all about the celebration, the festival of first fruits. Now it had come to this place where it is about celebrating the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And it's no mistake that Luke starts this story in chapter 2 at Pentecost because it was, for the Jews, a celebration of the giving of the law. And now for Christians, for the start of the church, it's going to be the celebration of the giving of the Holy Spirit. To no longer be tied to the law, we are tied to the life of God that is within us. And he says, so on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, 120 of them, it told us in chapter 1, were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And those, that's language when the Holy Spirit came in the Old Testament. Those are the type of things that were often associated with it. And everyone present, not just the men, not just a group of people, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit gave them ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. So they're coming into the setting completely. How can this be? These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. 
And we all hear these people speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. You get, get the picture, right? There's this room of 120 people gathered, and they're talking about this Messiah. These are people who are now staking their life that Jesus did actually die, that he did actually rise again, and they are putting everything on that claim. They're talking about it, and as they begin talking, they begin sharing that story in languages that are just listed. And it's crazy. I mean, it seems like fire's happening, wind is rushing, and then you come down to verse 12. They stood amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So the marker, the reality that we learn from this because often we don't see fire, we don't see wind coming into the room when we get together. But the principle here is so important. There is this teaching around when we gather as individuals, as a community, we should have complete and utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. And some people often go to Acts chapter 2 and they want to debate the Holy Spirit. And we miss the point. We miss the point. There's a lot of teaching in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. If you want to talk about tongues and sort of ecstatic language, go to Corinthians. The teaching is there, and I think it's true. But this is a story that happened in this time so that the gospel at the start of the church could go out to all people because as these people, as over 3,000 people come to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, they then go out to all over the Roman Empire. And this story begins to ring true in Rome and Corinth, in Ephesus. That's what's happening in this story here. But it's amazing. I mean, think about it. In that room, you only speak one language and you begin telling the story in another language. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you're sitting down with somebody and you're talking about your faith or you're talking about the Bible and you say something that later on you look back and you're like, how did I know that? How did I know to say that? Or how did I, even the knowledge of that? And I think that that, that that gets at the heart of what this is about. And it's what Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit will teach, remind. There is this complete and utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's hard for us, if we're really honest. To be utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit means we have to let go of some of the things that we tend to be dependent on, whether it's our own power, our own pride, our own control, our pursuit of whatever you want to put in the blank. But to give over consistent power to the presence of God in all who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I think there's a verse that gets at it better than any other verse. Ephesians 5, verse 18 this is coming upon the heels of some really practical teaching about what community life looks like together. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says this. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Many of your translations say it says it leads to, deba to debauchery. One of my favorite words in the scripture, debauchery. So don't be drunk with wine. That, that ruins your life. That'll mess you up, in other words. And we all know when you've been drunk, there's probably some in this room that maybe on occasion have been drunk. When you're drunk, what happens? Like what you say, what you do, how you stagger around is controlled by the alcohol, right? So that's the image that he's trying to put in people's mind. So instead of that, here's the teaching. So don't be drunk with wine. Uh, ruins your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And the Greek word there for, for the verb is this idea of consistently again and again and again and again and again and again. You need to give over control of your life to the presence of God in you. And when you do, then maybe we can grasp this utterly dependent Holy Spirit kind of life as individuals and as a community. Because think about this. What if this church, this room, your small group, your family really gave over consistent, daily, utter control to the presence of God in you and said, you're leading today, God. I want to hear the Spirit. I want to be led. I want to be directed by you. I want my family. I want my small group. What if our church acted that way? And then the wind of God begins to move through this community in new ways. I believe God is moving in this church, by the way. But in new ways and fresh ways. That's the understanding of what we get from this text. That there is this invitation to this complete and utter control upon the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon, who was one of the greatest preachers, said is often called the Prince of Preachers, lived in England. And he was often asked, you know, how are so many people coming to faith at your church why is God doing something absolutely amazing? And you would expect a preacher to talk maybe about the way he prepares or something that goes on in, in, in the process of preaching. And he said, the reason God works in our local church is because underneath the sanctuary we have a room where every time we gather there are people pleading that the Holy Spirit, that God would work and that people would come to faith. And I think that gets an image of what's going on here. That we are utterly and completely dependent upon the presence of God in each one of us to do something that we could never do on our own. I love this question that N.T. Wright asks in his commentary about this part of the text. He says, have our churches today got enough energy, enough spirit-driven new life to make onlookers pass any comment at all? Would people look at Crossview Covenant Church, look at your life and actually say, God, there's something there. And maybe it's a little weird, maybe I don't, but there's, there's something there. Okay, let's jump down to the end of the text. We got the middle of the text done with Ben there. So we go down to the end of the text. Dependence on the Holy Spirit, proclamation of the gospel. Now we come to verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Third marker is this, this idea of intentional community. This word devoted is this idea of giving unremitting care to something that you are going to persevere at it till it's done. We've looked at this text before, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time in it, but there is the idea that when we gather together, we know we need each other. We often talk about this in small groups, that we need a smaller community of people that we sit in a circle with, three, four, eight, ten people, and we do this kind of life together. We open the word we listen, we fellowship, we get into each other's lives, we pray together, we share meals together. And we do it consistently because we know it breathes a certain life into us that we have to have. Intentional community. And then the last one is this. And I, I both love and am fully convicted by this one. This idea of sacrificial sharing. And again, this is this, is this describing something or pre prescribing something. So you go to the end of the chapter in verse 43 and it says this. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Should we just practice that straight up? I mean, everybody grab all your credit cards, grab your checkbook, 
Um, make a list of all your clothing items. Uh, make sure you tell me what kind of golf clubs you have. Let's put that in the offering plate, and then we'll just pile it together, and we'll just divvy out. Is that, is that what the text is teaching us? I think we miss the point if we get caught up in that argument. So listen to it. Listen to the description. Believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And listen to this. Shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Isn't that beautiful? That word generosity is two Greek words put together. And it actually probably would most literally be humble hearts. They shared in a way that was actually maybe giving away something that hurt a little bit. We talk about it around here and we talk about Team World Vision stuff that we're giving away in this, in this place of pain because we know that life happens. And I think that also happens in the context of community. One of the markers of really healthy Christian community, a really healthy church, is sacrificial generosity. We're willing to give away, maybe when it hurts, possibly when it hurts. When we hear about a single mom who can't pay the mortgage, and we have a little saved up for vacation, maybe we give away to meet that need. I think that's what this type of life is describing. That we are aware we are in each other's lives so that we can give away in ways that are generous and sacrificial to actually meet the needs of the people around us. Church, we could go on and on here, but I'd encourage you. Are you completely and utterly dependent on the Spirit? Do you live a life that is unashamed of sharing Jesus with people around you? Do you have intentional community? And do you share sacrificially? Let's pray. Father, God, we know that this teaching and this story of the early church is there to teach us what it means to be your people. And not just so we can get along, God, but so we can breathe life and hope, and grace, and generosity into the world around us, God. Father, would you please do that? In each individual, in each small group, and families, and groups of friends, and as a local church, God, that we will be understood as this type, as people who are just sold out on your mission in our lives, in our community, in the world around us. Pray this in your name. Amen.